seated in the house of God. How many believe that today is the day of the Lord? Amen. It's a day he made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Thank you, sir. We have so many exciting things that we're going to be doing today. After this service, we're going to be ordaining some elders and deacons. So the second service folks will be joining us in just a little bit if you would like to stay. But open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 1 because more than just ordination and when we do these special services is what we have is a church built on disciples that make disciples. And what I would like to do is share a little bit of that with you in the book of John chapter 1 verse 35. Because when we look to the book of John, as we've been going through it verse by verse in the first service in Galatians in the second, what we see is that Jesus is right off the bat told to us to be the Word, the one that is equal with the Father, God in the flesh, has come to be with us and to be, as we learned last week, the Lamb of God. Somebody say the Lamb of God. And that would have been amazing just all in and of itself that he would come, God the Son, in the flesh, live among us, do miracles, die, be buried, resurrect, ascend to heaven. That would be amazing. But what we now see in John chapter 1, verse 35, is that he is going to have a plan within a plan. Everybody say, a plan within a plan. And that plan, thank you, is going to be to build the church through relationships that he has with his disciples. And as we think today about ordaining deacons, those who have chosen to be servants in the house of God, and those deacons who have set their hearts on being elders, we can appreciate what Jesus is doing here with his first disciples. John chapter 1, verse 35, if you're there, somebody say, I'm there. Wonderful, thank you. The next day, John, talking about John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, we've already heard that at the baptism, but here we see he says it again. What I want you to notice is that John had disciples. When you begin to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four Gospels, and you read them in chronological order, what you'll be able to see is a harmony of the Gospels. When we read the book of Matthew and Mark and Luke, we get the impression that the first time Jesus meets the disciples, like Peter, his brother Andrew, James, and John, he says, hey guys, come follow me and I'm going to make you fisher of men. We get the impression that they were total strangers. How many have thought that? I mean, let's just be honest, because you've seen it maybe only through Matthew, that you get this idea that Jesus is just strolling by, he sees fishermen, and he says, hey, you, come follow me. And that's how it starts. No, you need John to fill in the gaps to understand the timeline. The gospel of John says these disciples, Andrew, more than likely Peter as well, James and John, were actually disciples of John the Baptist first. So they were with John the Baptist during his ministry. They saw Jesus get baptized, and now you're taking up this part of the story right here. And they see John again after the baptism say, hey, fellas, look, man, there he goes. There's the Lamb of God. 
Now there's a part of this that makes me want to wonder, are these guys as men having a, hu- a humorous time together? Like, hey, hey, man, look at him. That's the Lamb of God right there, guys. You know, like you have a friend, you know, like, hey, Flacco, there's Flacco. There he goes. There's Flacco. There's Gordo, man. There's Gordo right there. Hey, man, look at him, you know, or look at her. We have these nicknames for each other, so I almost wonder, like, if they're all just sitting around, and then they see Jesus go by, and they're not doing it to be mocking, but they're like, yo, Lamb of God, what's up, man? There he is. And I know that that may seem irreverent, but I don't think at every moment these men, because I'm a man. Somebody say our pastor's a man. I know what gender I am and I identify with. I am a man's man. I have been a man's man my whole life, and those who have struggled with being a manly man, that's okay. We love you. God is with you, and he's dealing with you in your own special ways. But I know what it's like to be around men. I've been around men my whole life. I've been in the locker room. I do sports. I do all that. I just get an understanding here that there's, there's, there's room. Somebody say there's room. There's room for men to be men as they're beginning to discover who Jesus is. So I could see them, like I said, hanging out with John the Baptist by the river doing ministry. There's some downtime. Here comes Jesus strolling by, and John the Baptist is like, look, dude, there he is. There's the Lamb of God again just strolling. What's up, cuz? Because that's his cousin. You know, what's going on? Now, I want you to know this in verse 37. When the two disciples heard this, you know, John shouting out to Jesus, when they heard him say this, they follow Jesus. Do you notice the difference now when you harmonize John with Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Jesus is just walking by. He hasn't talked to them yet. He hasn't addressed them yet. He hasn't come to where they're fishing yet. He hasn't told them to be fisher of men yet. When you look at the timeline in chronological order, you see that first and foremost, they were curious and started going after him. See, that makes a big difference in the story, doesn't it? Because it almost sounds like before, and this may mess up some preachers who have preached it like this, but it almost sounded like before, if you looked at Matthew, that they're just, you know, just doing their thing, doing their thing. They have no idea, you know, with the fishiness, they have no idea who this man is that just walked up to them. And somehow now they get this revelation like, man, I need to drop everything and follow this dude. I don't even know who you are. No, what had happened was, is they were being obedient to God in the stages and the phases of their faith. Some may say they're stages and there's phases. Thank you. So for them, these folks, like where, like if you ever ask yourself, like where did they come from? Where did Andrew come from? Where did Peter come from? Where did some of these disciples come from? Now you know. They were hungry for God. They were following John the Baptist. We don't know of all of their stories, but we can know of about four. You're going to meet Peter in just a moment here. And so they were following John the Baptist. They were hungry for the things of God in that stage and phase of their life. But then they hear John continually talk about someone coming after him. Someone's coming after him. Someone's greater than him. Someone that is going to come after him, but really is before him, you know? And, and that this person, he can't even untie their, uh, their sandals. And so he has finally baptized that person, and now we get the help because we don't see it in John's gospel, but you can just write it down in Matthew 3, 16, and 17. We don't have to turn there. But in, but in the other gospels, we see that when Jesus is baptized, the Father speaks from heaven, and the dove of the Holy Spirit comes down. How many remember that scene? It's a scene of the Trinity, isn't it? All right, some of you all can follow me. Let's, let me remind you of that scene. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. So when you're quiet, we go to more scriptures. Okay, and if you don't remember, don't lie either, because I don't want you to be like, I remember, so you don't go to more scriptures, Pastor. No, just, just be honest, okay? I'm going to help you out here. Look at it. 
This is at the baptism, but it's Matthew's recollection. Remember, they complement each other. In Matthew 3, 16, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John the Baptist is going to do this, and John the Gospel doesn't have all these details. But John tried to detour him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So in other words, Jesus is getting baptized not because he's a sinner, but because he's going to fulfill righteousness. He's going to be the perfect Jew, in other words. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending. Who did he see? The Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my... So if he has a son, and we don't believe in God the mother, who's the one speaking here? God the Father, right? This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. John's gospel does not record this. Going back to the notes, please. He doesn't record this, but we are to know it by understanding the surround sound of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, putting them all together. They harmonize, they don't contradict, they complement, right? So they had seen, watch this, they had seen heaven opened up. They had seen the dove of the Holy Spirit come down. They had heard the voice of the Father. And so when they had a chance to watch Jesus walk by again on another day, and they heard their mentor, because they were already in a discipleship relationship, when they heard their mentor say, that's the Lamb of God, they decided at that moment to follow him. And I want you now just to put yourself into their shoes. You're now following somebody you don't know as well as the one you've been following. So you've been following John the Baptist, but now you're taking a step away from John because it doesn't say John starts following him at that moment. So it looks like John's going to stay over here, keep doing ministry, but now you're going to start following somebody you don't know very much about. But you trust your mentor, you trust your leader that what he said about this person is worth following. And that just shows us that we ought to trust our mentors and our leaders about who we listen to online, what videos we're watching, books we're reading. Can I hear an amen? We love you. We're just trying to help and guard you. But you can see there's probably some questions that they have, some trepidation. And then at the same time, imagine what this was like for Jesus. Because yes, he's God in the flesh. He's the God man. But oftentimes we forget how very man he is. In other words, he limited his powers and abilities to be just like a man. That's why when he asked with the woman that touched him, he goes, who touched me? He's not playing games. He's literally going, who touched me? Because unless the father would give him the information, he would not use his own divine privileges to his benefit. Because do you get to know everything God knows at any moment? No, you have to rely upon God telling you what to know at a certain moment. When Jesus was God in the flesh, to be our perfect example, he was not acting as a superman. He relied on the Holy Spirit. That's what we're supposed to get at the baptism. Here comes the Holy Spirit on Jesus. Jesus is going to rely on the relationship with the Holy Spirit like we're going to. And so now watch, from, or, or think about this rather, from Jesus' point of view. He's like, man, I got some people following me, like some puppies like, who are you guys? What's going on? Man, I'm just walking to the store. I'm just walking over here to do something. I just wanted to walk and say hi to my cousin. And then look at what it says in verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them following him, asked, what do you want? <laughs> See, this kind of changes the story when all you read is Matthew. Because Matthew, it's like Jesus comes down on a cloud. Ah. He shows up to some grimy fishermen that know nothing about Jesus, and he goes, ah, oh, guys, come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they have no idea who he is, and they go, okay, we'll come. No, see, that's not when you put it in chronological order what's happening. 
What's happening is it actually, if you want to be specific, the relationship between him and his disciples, especially this core group, it started with them being curious and following him. You see, Jesus was giving them opportunities to make a decision on what they wanted to do. I think about it oftentimes when you're around people who are super talented, but they don't want to talk about it. They just want to kind of show you, you know, maybe they knit some things. We have Jerry. Jerry likes to crochet. And instead of just talking about crocheting, maybe she'll just show up to the life group with one of her little crocheted hats on, you know, and she's just got it on. Everybody can see it. Oh, okay. That's a nice hat. Like, like she's just waiting for you to ask about that hat. We're not talking about being thirsty, but just in a way like, hey, this is something that I do. Here's a little hat that I crochet. And then somebody asked her, hey, what's up with that hat? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I made this hat. I like to crochet. And it's the same thing. You go to the park, you see people out there shooting ball, and you know, and they're doing their best. They just want somebody to come over and be like, hey, man, how long you been playing? Look at you. You look pretty good. And the same thing when women cook, you know, they just want to put it out there. Oh, I just made, I just, I just did this really quick. But they want somebody to be like, oh, man, this is fire. What did you put in this? Oh, I just did this. Even though like over four hours they were making, I just threw this together. Just just threw it together. It's like their grandmother's abuela's recipe. I just threw it together. Just I played it by ear when they've been testing and then trying a year after year, right? And so here we get this idea. Like, I don't think Jesus is doing this cocky. I don't think Jesus is thirsty. But I honestly think Jesus is like, there's been some stuff that have happened around here. I want to know, has anybody noticed? Because I'm going to come back around there and see, has anybody paid attention? I'm not going to go after them, but I'm just going to walk by and see if anybody says anything. Because that day was a very important day to Jesus, wasn't it? His Father revealed who he was. The power of the Holy Spirit came. And so I think if we put ourselves in the humanity of Christ's position to understand what he's doing, I think he's coming by going, hey, does John remember what happened? And then he hears John shout out, yo, Lamb of God, I got you, I know you. Jesus is like, okay, John's on point, John's on point. And then I think when he walked by, he's like, man, but I wonder what those disciples are going to do. Because obviously Jesus knows the plan that he's going to have to make disciples. Jesus may not know at this point because the Father hasn't revealed to him all the persons that are going to be his disciples. But I can assume that Jesus is saying, I bet that my father has some disciples for me in this group right here. I want to see who's going to come follow me. And so as Jesus is walking, he starts to notice there's a trail behind it. There's two dudes following him. Like, what's up, Jesus? Man, I want to follow you. And he asked them, what do you want? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are you from? Where are you at? Where are you going? How many know guys talk like that? Like, they're not getting all into the deep stuff yet. They're just like, man, where are you from? Where are you at? Where are you going tonight? What, you know, it's a simple little conversation for some men that are trying to be humble and at the same time not be too thirsty, and they want to let Jesus know, like, hey, man, I want to know more about you. Where are you staying? And highlight verse 39 for me, please, because this right now to me reveals the heart of Jesus Christ more than just being a savior on a cross that we're going to look at as a religious figure, Jesus now shares his heart as John is going to show us in his gospel that he wants to be more than just our master but our friend. He says back to them, come and you will see. The King James said, come and see. Somebody say, come and see. I would like to talk to you a few moments about coming and seeing with Jesus. 
Imagine this. Jesus could have been annoyed. He could have said, look, you guys aren't religious enough. You're not spiritual enough. You don't have all the answers. You haven't been to the right Jewish, you know, cemetery, seminaries, you know. You're not as smart as the others. I got busy. I got, I got plans to do. I'm busy. But no, look at what Jesus said to those two men out of their curiosity. He said, come on. Come on and see. Now, how many know that's probably the most under like stated sentence that these guys are ever going to hear in their entire life. Come and see, man, what are these guys going to see over the next three and a half years? These guys are going to see things that no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard, no one has ever even imagined. One of them's going to walk on water. They're going to watch heavens opened up. They're going to watch God come down with Moses and Elijah. I mean, they are going to see the dead raised. They're going to see the sick healed. They're going to see demons crying out and screaming. They've been afraid of demons, but the one they're with now is the, the demons are afraid of them. They're going to now see wind and waves be controlled, be, be turned on and off like air conditions and fans. Are you listening? They're going to see the future be told to them. I mean, what an understatement. Come and see. And yet there is enough there for them to see that God has opened up a door for them in this relationship. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about 4 in the afternoon. I love that John tells us these details. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So we don't know who the other one is. We can assume maybe it's one of the brothers, uh, James or uh, John, because that was another set of brothers. Andrew and Peter were a set of brothers, and so it could could have been one of those other sets because we hear in Matthew that those sets get called together so we kind of lump them together and they also became a part of, of Jesus's uh, core but we don't know but we know for a fact that this one is Andrew and this is what Andrew does watch this highlight verse 41 for me please somebody say the first thing the first thing Andrew did after he hung out with Jesus was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. Isn't that so amazing? So now you see this, this process of, of what we're going to know now as discipleship beginning right here. Jesus has laid down the revelation. He's allowed them to get a peek into who he is, and he's wanting to see, is anybody going to seek? Because if they seek, they'll find. He's wanting to see, is anybody going to ask? Because they shall receive. He's wanting to see, is there anybody going to knock on his door? Because the door will be open. And these two come and they start seeking and finding. They start asking and receiving. They start knocking and the door is open. And then once Andrew knows who that Jesus is, he goes to his brother and he goes, Brother, we have found the Christ. What great faith this man of God had to trust his mentor, to be able to begin to follow Jesus, to humble himself when Jesus said, what is it you want? Like, what do you want? He humbles himself and says, I, mean, I just want to see where you're staying. I just want to see if this is real, in other words. And then after his encounter with Jesus by four in the afternoon, he's like, man, I know who this is. This is the Messiah. Runs and tells somebody else. Sounds like discipleship to me starting right here. We reach one to teach one to reach one. The moment you know who Christ is, you're to go out and tell others who Christ is. 
And if you notice here, there is no forcing of Christ upon these people. Whatever was happening between the time they heard their, their mentors say, this is the Lamb of God, until four in the afternoon, we don't know what conversations they had. But whatever it was, it was Christ teaching them and them being willing to listen. And at a certain point, they said, all right, I've heard it. I get it. My mind is made up. You are who you say you are. And in this church, we encourage the same thing. I was just online sharing about what God did in a season of my life at Wright College. And at that same post that I put on Facebook, a young man that I had went out to McDonald's with and met at Wright College and was building a relationship for the gospel contacted me. And I don't think that's a coincidence. He must have seen that I mentioned my three years preaching at Wright College on, on Mondays. He, it must have struck something in his heart. And then he reached out to me. And he says he's going to come next week, and we're going to pray for him to get saved and get sanctified and live, live for Jesus. Amen? And so he reached out to me, and we began to communicate back and forth. And this is literally what I said to him. Come and see. Come and see. Come and see. I'm not here to force it on you. I'm not here to make you want to be a Christian. I'm not here to try to argue you into Christianity because if someone can argue you into it, someone can argue you out of it. If someone can force you into it, someone can force you out of it. Someone can manipulate and put pressure to, for you to come in. Someone can manipulate and put pressure to come out. I just said, come and see. Come see what God is doing. Come see what God is doing in the church. Come see what God has done in my life because I'm different, even growing now since the time you have seen me. Come to the church. Come and see all the young adults, because he's a young adult, that have been coming to church during the time that you could have been coming. Come and see what God has done in their life. Come and see the Bible studies. Come and see the testimonies. Come and see the miracles. Can I hear an amen? How many want to reach out to somebody and say, we found the Messiah? We know who he is. His name is Jesus Christ. Verse 42, thank you. And he brought him to Jesus. Now imagine this, Andrew bringing his brother to Jesus. He brings him to Jesus. And the moment Jesus looks at him, he says, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Wow, that blows our, our little timeline of Matthew in just a moment, like the way people do it in just one moment right there, because most of us think Peter was given that name at the confession, that his name was changed at that moment. But if you look at the timeline of John to complement Matthew, not contradict, you actually see that when Jesus first met him, before he ever confessed him that day about who do you say that I am, he called him by that name that day. Somebody say, our God is a God of faith. Or somebody say, our God is a God of promise. Amen. Before or after Abraham had a child, was his name changed? Before or after? Before. Abram's name was changed to Abraham before he had a child. Abram, meaning father, Abraham, meaning father of many nations. His name was changed before he had a child. Now knowing the timeline, John going in chronological order, when was Peter's name first changed? When he confessed that Jesus was the Christ and got the right score on the test or the first day that he met Jesus and Jesus spoke over his life? The first day. You see, the first day he met Jesus, Jesus said, I see in you a rock. That's what the word Kephas or Peter means. He said, I see in you a rock. 
I see in you a foundation for me to build a church that the gates of hell will not prevail against. I know all of our Roman Catholic friends, they get happy and say, oh, look, I told you he's the Pope. He's the first Pope. It says it right there. No, I'm going to show you in just a moment. It doesn't mean he's the first Pope. Was Peter the first Pope? Nope. Okay, so listen, I'm going to show you that in a minute. But I want to be very honest with you. While we are making sure we don't turn towards Roman Catholicism and their superstition, let's be very honoring of Peter. Let's be very honoring of Mary during this Christmas season. Let's be very honoring of the people of the Bible, but let's not become superstitious, okay? There's a balance here. What we see about Peter is that Jesus, at moment one, said, I need to start with one. If I can show that I can do it with one, I can show I can do it with the rest of the world. Because how many know we're some zeros, but Jesus is the hero. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. I love what Reinhard Bonnke said. He said, if you want to see a million people come to Christ, all you need to do is get a one and a bunch of zeros. Come on, somebody. If you get a bunch of zeros to go after the one, that's how a million come to Christ. You want a billion? Get a bunch of zeros to come to the one. Are you listening? And I know some of you, you're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be considered a zero. Without Christ, you're less than a zero. You're a negative. <laughs> Come on. We're nothing without Jesus. And I love this, that right here, Jesus is saying, and, and I'm trying to understand, like I said, what's happening behind the scenes. As one preacher said, I'm reading the white while you're reading the black. Okay, it's a space here. I'm trying to help fill in the blanks. I believe Jesus is saying, look, if I can show that I can do it with one, then I can show that I can make a disciple of anybody. So he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with the one that's the most, uh, you know, cursing, the most easily angered, the least patient of the bunch. I'm going to start with the one that people would not want to be in charge of the synagogue. Don't put Peter in charge. People might get, you know, ears cut off and, and he might start fights and all this. I'm going to start with this one because if I can show that I can make Peter a disciple, then I can make sweet John a disciple. Then I can make Andrew, that older brother, a disciple. I can make this one and that one and even a tax collector like Matthew. Peter becomes the first of many, in other words. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. How do I know that? Because when Peter writes his epistles, his letter to the churches, he never mentions being a pope. He never mentions him being a father. He never mentions that he is the first one that is going to be in a succession of other popes. No, what he simply says is, is that he's a stone among other stones, Worshiping the living stone. Somebody say the living stone. Amen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter is talking. This is his first epistle. That's why it's called 1 Peter. It's Peter's first epistle. As you come to him, talking about Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like what? Like what? Living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a Holy priesthood. Somebody say a holy priesthood. Thank you. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See here, right now, Peter had the opportunity to go, hey guys, you're little stones, but I'm a big rock. Don't you know what, what Jesus changed my name to? You know, we all going to be built up together, but just understand it goes Jesus, then me, then you. Or it goes Jesus, me, then the priesthood, then you. Come on. How many know in the Roman Catholic Church, they won't even let you touch the communion? You can't even touch it. You can't even touch it. Think about that. They have to feed it to you like you're a baby bird. Let me, oh, no, 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 don't, don't, don't drop it. We can't trust you with it. 
know, at the Last Supper, they all had the bread, didn't they? They all had the wine. And Jesus took the bread of that time and said, this is my body. If somehow it's his literal body, how is Jesus able to say at that moment, this is my body, this is my blood? He hasn't even been crucified yet. Obviously, it's always meant to be taken symbolic. That's the way it's meant to be. And he let everybody take it, and everybody could dip their hand in it, even Judas. And, and thankfully, God exposed Judas in his life so we don't promote sin in the church. But he even gave a sinner like Judas a chance to take communion and to be right with him. Can I hear an amen? He's not a God that, that loves uh, to judge and to punish the wicked. The Bible says he takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He wants to see all come to salvation. Amen? And so we see here, Peter had a great opportunity to say, hey, this is my first epistle. I'm just laying down the facts right here. Here's the fact. Jesus, he's the big stone. Second of all, I'm like the medium-sized stone. And then third, y'all the pebbles. (laughs) Y'all the pebbles. And then Father Tom and the priesthood, they're going to be like little gems among you. They're going to be little gems. You're going to look up to them like little diamonds. No, no. Is that what he says? Not at all. He says, look, there's only one living stone. There's only one that this whole thing is about, and that's Jesus. After Jesus, we are all living stones. After Jesus, we are all a holy priesthood. That's why you can do the things that a priest would do. You can pray. You can offer up your sacrifice of praise to God. You can partake of the Lord's Supper. And if it need be, you could even baptize. We also baptize as elders and deacons here because we believe it's more formal that way. But if you and someone else were on an island together and there's nobody else there and you got somebody say, you can baptize them in Jesus' name. Amen? And so Peter was very clear that that's not how he was ever going to be. Now just quickly go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Just to conclude his thoughts on who he was, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, so no one takes this out of context. He says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow what? Elder. So among the stones, some of them are going to be elders. Some of them are going to be deacons like we're ordaining today. That doesn't mean they are a different kind of stone. That doesn't mean they have some kind of a privilege that you don't. It just simply means that those among the congregation, like you and I, have been chosen to be leaders. That's it. How many know your boss is a person just like you? Okay, how many know your people who work under you, bosses and managers, are people just like you? That's what what we're supposed to be like in the church. He says, I appeal to you as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed, be shepherds of God's flock. And so I will challenge any person who believes in the papistry or the pope being some type of a handed down office because of verses like this to show us anywhere in the scriptures that's what it means, especially in Peter's epistles, whether it's his first or his second one. Now going back to the notes, and this young man meeting him, uh, when we first started, when I first was a Christian and I started reading the Bible, I used to look up to these men as older men. Now that I know they're in their 30s, I look at them as younger men. Can I hear an amen from anybody with gray hair in the house? You in your 30s, you're a younger man. (laughs) Yeah, you're in your 40s, you're in your 50s. You look back at these guys in their 20s and 30s, these are young men. You're a young man. I know, but when I used to read the Bible, I would look up to Peter. I'd be like, oh, man, they're so old. They're so this and that. And now I look at it even this way. I'm older than what Jesus was in the flesh. Jesus would be a young man to me. I would have to humble myself to Jesus if I met him in that context. Wouldn't we all, all of us older men, who all think like we know more, we've done more? You know, men, we're very competitive. You know how it is. We'd be very competitive with Jesus if we wouldn't humble ourselves. And yet we see that 
these brothers, they all humble, them, humble themselves to their peer or someone that's a little older or a little younger. We don't know their ages exactly, but they, they must be close in age. They humble themselves, and they now are able to receive who Jesus said that they can be. Peter receives the word that he will be a rock. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Vinny, would you come, please? We're going to uh, get ready to pray and then start our ordination in just a few moments, but I want to make some application points today. I want to start at the beginning of our story. When we look to what Jesus was doing coming that day to that, that region where John the Baptist was, he was giving people the opportunity to reach out to him. We always have to be ready for the day that God visits us and reaches out to us. Have you ever been in your car, in, you know, uh, commuting? Have you ever been in those kinds of places commuting, driving in the bus, and all of a sudden you start to hear a still small voice, someone speaking to you in your heart, that could be the Lord. Are you going to reach out to him and start following him, or are you just going to brush it off? Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and had an urge to start praying, reading your Bible? Because don't you and I normally make the excuse, well, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. So wouldn't it be just like God at times to just stir you in the middle of the night and say, hey, you're not busy now, are you? Do you go after Jesus or do you just go back to bed and brush it off and say, oh, it's probably myself? Have you ever been alone in your prayer closet doing what you normally do, maybe just reading your Bible, worshiping, making time for the Lord, and then at that moment... God says, I want you to do this. Turn to this passage. I want you to pray about this. Have you been obedient? Or have you just said, man, that's just maybe just something I ate. I'm just going to keep reading my devotional because that's what I do every morning. The question that I want us to, to ask ourselves is, are we ready for the day when Jesus visits us in unique ways? That's an application that we see because that day, was just like any other day to those guys following John the Baptist. They were in the habit of going there, doing this, and watching this, and helping those people. But you see, this day was different. This day, Jesus was passing by. And I just want to believe that the same Jesus that made that day different is looking at our lives in our mundane lives and wanting us to recognize when he's going to do a different thing, when God is going to switch up a gear, when God is going to transform a moment into a from a natural to a supernatural moment. Are you going to be ready? Because it was moments like that. I just want to be honest with you because I wish there was halos and angels. But it was moments like that that this church was started. Just getting up, reading my Bible, praying, going to outreach, doing different things. And God said, today, I want you to start a church. Today, I want you to follow me and reach Chicago. Do you know that after I resigned from being a Chicago youth pastor, I had California dreams I said, man, I am not staying here in the Midwest. I had been to New Orleans for over eight years, and then when I came up to be a youth pastor, it was short, and then I was thinking about what to do, and I said, man, I'm going back down south, and I go, oh, man, the south is too dirty. I said, man, I'm going to California, y'all. I'm going to go to the land of sunshine and movie stars and beautiful deep beaches. I'm done with the dirty, dirty south. 
If y'all ever been around the South, you know what I'm talking about. It's not so clean at times that we rough and tough down there. My Southern folks understand it. But I was, I was like, man, South is kind of crazy. I've been down there. I've been around there. Man, I want to go to California. I want, I'm, this is me. Some of y'all lost all respect for me, but I'm being honest. I'm being honest. Can I, can a pastor be honest? I wanted to go to Malibu. <laughs> now you look at me, you put that together, you're like, it makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. How many of you could see me pastoring in Malibu? If you know me, you could totally see me. I'm surfing every day, Bible studies on the beach, going out skateboarding, longboarding, hanging out. Man, Malibu. And I'm just praying, reading my Bible. I'm honestly putting out applications. I'm looking at Malibu churches. Okay, who needs a pastor? I'm talking to my wife, and I'm going, maybe I could do L.A., maybe San Francisco, but it's got to be more of this. And I'm like, you know, like nitpicking. And then here comes Jesus. He's walking to Belmont and Clark. Seriously. Here comes Jesus. And I can hear, you know, John the Baptist wasn't there, but I can hear the Holy Spirit. There goes the Lamb of God. There he goes. He's going, he's going to Belmont and Clark. See, he's already told somebody about Malibu. He's already told somebody about these parts of Florida. He's already told somebody about that. But he's, he's right now showing you he's going to Belmont and Clark. I had to make a decision that day. Would I just brush that off and go, oh, man, that's just me. I ate too much. I've been, you know, hearing about Belmont and Clark because, you know, people around here have told me about it. That's just in my own thought. You know, I'm going to stay with this. I'm going to stay. This is where I'm supposed to be. No, it was that still small voice. And I said, okay, God, I'll go to Belmont and Clark. And as I was going out there, the Lord said, you're going to plant a church here. This is where you're going to plant a church. This is where I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And oh, have we seen some stuff in Chicago. Come on, can I hear an amen if you've heard if you've heard and seen some things in Chicago? Aren't you glad that somebody said, Man, Jesus, I'll follow you in Chicago? And Jesus said, Come and see. He said, come and see what I'm going to do on the west side. Come and see what I'm going to do in the high schools. Come and see what I'm going to do in all the different communities. Come and see what I'm going to do at Boricua Fest. Come and see what I'm going to do in the homosexual community, the, the, the children, the young people. See, you got to be ready. That's the application. You have to be ready. The second thing that we can apply to our lives today is that we've got to be willing to hear it for ourselves and be solidified until the doubt is removed. I like that it says they were there till about four in the afternoon because I'm the kind of pastor that if you started following me, say even when I go out preaching at Wright College and you had some questions, we'll be there till about four in the afternoon if we started around 11. With this young man that I was talking about at Wright College, hours at McDonald's. Okay, what's your next question? Okay, let's go to this. Let's go to this. I want you to see this passage. Okay, our answer just for that question. Okay, what's your next one? Okay, let's go to this one. Our, how many of you like Bible studies? Come on, they were there till four. They were there till four. You can also see this all throughout Jesus' life, not in the obvious way. We know he's teaching Sermon on the Mount, these wonderful times. But what about the times that it says, and he went with his disciples and explained it further to them? What was it like to be in that Bible study? 
Or like the Bible says on the road to Emmaus, two guys are leaving, and Jesus kind of messes with them and says, hey, what's going on? Oh, you haven't heard? And they talk about what had happened with the Messiah and all these things, and he goes, oh, okay. And then he reveals to them who he is, and the Bible says that he begins to teach them from the prophets to the Torah to the Old Testament, all of that that it was about him. So not only did he get their curiosity going, he went so deep with them that they wanted him to stay longer. I don't want anyone here. Can I get everyone's attention to look up at me, please? I don't want anyone to believe something in these scriptures that you have not learned and studied to the point of your satisfaction. The Bible says it's actually a command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If any church has ever told you, just don't think about it, just just move on. That is not good. I know sometimes in faith we have to trust God. Trust me, I understand that way of, of that being good advice. But when it comes to your questions and it comes to the, the things that you're interested in, if someone says, just don't think about it, just believe God, let's just go on, that is not true biblical teaching. You do not, in this church, intimidate us nor make us feel um, in any way embarrassed when you ask questions. You don't intimidate us. So just, you know, if someone's like, well, I'm going to ask you a question. That doesn't intimidate me. I'm the kind of pastor, and you all know this about me, I could end every service with Q&A, and I would feel zero embarrassment. Like, honestly, right now, I could sit down, open mic, let's start talking. It does not in the least embarrass me. And at the same time, it doesn't intimidate me. Because I spend my whole life studying this. And we as a church go on the streets to preach it. I go on the streets. People don't respect me as a pastor out there. They'll curse, get in my face, all that. It doesn't intimidate me. I'm out there to give them the truth. And especially the dear saints. Because many of you are dear saints and you have questions. And you want to know more about Jesus. And you want to understand about these things. Take time till four in the afternoon to hang out with Jesus and his disciples to learn. Amen. And that's why you are more important to us here than just the service that you do. Many churches will allow you to volunteer just immediately. Oh, I want to volunteer. Okay, sign up. Boom, you're in charge of this. That's not how we do this here. You can volunteer and be a part of things, but you will not be called upon to be a leader. You will not be looked at as one of the people that's in a list of leaders or volunteers that we count on regularly until you're a deacon. And that usually takes a year to two years. Why? Because we want you to be built up in your faith. We want your family to be built up. We want your questions to be answered. We're not just looking at what we can get out of you. Oh, we need more uh, children's workers. Okay, who volunteers? You're a children's worker. You're a children's worker. Man, you don't even have your questions answered about hell yet. How am I going to have you teach about Noah's Ark, right? Noah's Ark is a whole bunch of people dying and going to hell. Noah's Ark is not just a cute little bathtub toy. Does everybody get that? If you want to complete the bathtub toy of Noah's Ark, this is then what you need to do. You then need to take a bunch of little gerbils, put them in the water with the little ark, and watch the gerbils die as your child plays with the, with the ark. And you're like, oh, man, that's sick and twisted. But that's actually the story. Here's Noah's Ark. Here's Noah's Ark. And there's a bunch of people dying around Noah's Ark. There's claw marks on Noah's Ark. Are you guys listening to me? If anybody makes a Noah's Ark bath toy and there ain't claw marks on there, they didn't make it right. Somebody's press-on nails better be stuck in that Noah's Ark toy. Are you listening to me? 
Because, let me in. Let me in. That's Noah's Ark. So if you have not gotten your answers to your questions about hell, how am I going to have you teach about Noah's Ark? You don't understand Noah's Ark. Somebody just said that the other day when we were preaching against abortion. Well, your God has killed millions. And I'm like, yes, he has, and he'll do it again. You better get right. And then the second thing that I said is innocent children, innocent children get grace. God will take care of the children, whether aborted through murder or his judgment. But the families of those children who die in judgment were warned that this is what will happen to their families. So if part of God's judgment involves families, you better take that serious, moms and dads. Amen. And then the last thing that we see, just highlight, please, we found the Messiah. When we find the truth, we need to go share it. Whenever you see an ordination service at our church, what you are seeing is someone going, I found the truth. I have been searching, and I have found it, and now I'm willing to go share it. They're willing to put their name on the line and say, I will testify. It's literally getting to that point in our culture where testifying about Christ may cost you your life, may cost you your job. I remember talking about this years before all of this stuff went down in our nation and COVID and all of that. I remember saying there will come a time where people on your job will ask you, do you agree with what your pastor's preaching? Because they want to make sure at their job there is nobody there who thinks homosexuality is a sin. They want to make sure that there is nobody there that's going to stand against their agendas. And they're going to ask you, do you agree with the church that says homosexuality is a sin? Do you agree with the preachers that are saying this? Because the first ones that these cultures, Pakistan is one of them, China is another one, North Korea, the first thing that they do is they ridicule, mock, ostracize the pastors and the leaders. They want you to leave those leaders. And then what they'll do is start arresting the leaders, and then you'll start seeing the leaders as something shameful. Look at them. They're in jail. They can't be home for Christmas. Man, I want to be like that. They'll start ostracizing you from those leaders. That's their plan, because if you strike the shepherd, the sheep flee. If you go for the leader, it's easier to go for the congregation. And so right now, you got to start asking yourself the question, am I willing to stand up and be counted as a Christian? Am I willing to say, this is what I believe in morality? This is what I believe that Jesus has told us to do, and I believe in a judgment to come. I believe the world was once judged by water. It will be judged by fire. I believe in the, in the, in the commandments of Jesus, and I believe that those are the things we'll be held accountable to. Are you going to be willing to do that? So then if you are, then you have to share it with others. Where will you go to share this week the message of Jesus? In my Bible, I like to always keep a prayer list of those that I'm praying for that I can share the message of Jesus to. Do they always receive it? No. Are they always happy that I brought it up? No. But I'm going to. And I'm going to be faithful. And then I pray for them. How many know the moment you go into that kind of a conversation, it's almost like you can't go back to the relationship the way it was? I know there are some wake, uh, wakeboarding friends that I now snowboard with and I'm about ready to cross that line. They know I'm a pastor. I'm a cool pastor. I do these things with them. But I'm about ready to tell them about heaven and hell. And I'm praying for them right now. I got them on my list, and I'm praying for them. Because when I cross that line, I'm okay if we never hang out again. I am. I'm okay. I'm going to count that cost. But I'm praying they get saved. Or at the very least, they say, man, that's interesting. Let's talk about that more. But who are you praying for? Like, who's on your list? Like, who are you saying, okay, this is my boss, and I know God is telling me I need to go talk to him. 
And I'm not going to do it on work hours, right? You're going to go take them out to lunch. But I'm going to, I'm going to talk to them. And this may set this whole thing on a whole different course if I do. But, Lord, I, I believe you told me to go talk to them. How many of you are going to be getting around family at Christmas? And God is saying, I want you to talk to this family member. You know, you got to be willing to do that. We have found the Messiah. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Amen. Let's stand up together.